I need you to use your imagination with me at the start of the message this morning. Will you try to picture three different settings? A home office, an Irish pub, and then a hospital room. A man is sitting at his desk, and he's working on a presentation, and he is stressed out of his mind. Uh, This room used to be his den until he had to switch it to his home office. He's been doing everything that he can to make things different at the office. But he's been losing sleep. He's not eating like he used to be. And he has, he's touchy. His family feels it uh, every day. People who know him know that he hasn't been himself for over a year. And he, he pauses and he says a brief prayer. God, he says, would you please change my feelings? And then it occurs to him that maybe it's not his feelings that need to change. Maybe it's something at work that needs to change. But change is very difficult. That's the office. Now the Irish pub. A young couple sitting side by side in a booth across from their pastor. These two are in love in a way that makes the pastor want to gag. It's so cute. They're there for premarital counseling. And on this evening, they're going to talk about conflict. And So the pastor asks, tell me what it's like. She shares about how difficult it is for her that he always chooses video games over talking to her. And she explains that, that she just wishes he would just give her the time that she needs. He explains how, how much he struggles with the fact that she won't say directly what she wants and what she needs. And then they smile, and to the two of them, it seems like a small thing, but the pastor knows if things don't change 10 years from now, they're going to be miles apart. The Irish pub. The hospital room. A man lies down on the bed. He came in very early that morning. His wife brought him in after she found him lying on the ground next to an empty bottle of whiskey and an empty bottle of pills. There's a social worker there as well. And right now, the decision that has to be made is whether this man is going to check himself in to an intensive inpatient program, which will last at least four months. The problem is his wife is eight months pregnant, and if he checks in, he's going to miss the birth of his daughter. But if he doesn't check in, well, his wife's told him she's done. That's the hospital room. These three different places, the home office, the Irish pub, the hospital room, they seem to be very far apart, don't they? Maybe in a way they are, but all three of them, all three of them hold people which are in the same place. All three, all three groups of people need the same thing. Can you see what it is? They need change. They need serious change or else they're going to be unhappy forever. And all three of them, All three of them hold people who are unhappy in effect for the same reason. It's their habits that have kept them in the same place. Those unquestioned behaviors and patterns of thinking that keep people trapped in deep ruts so they're stuck where they don't want to be day after day, year after year. Now, those two things are the same for all of the people in there. There's a third thing that unites them, and it's what unites us all together in here. And it is this, that all three of them are completely free to go off in a new direction, away from those habits which keep them trapped into a life of purpose and joy. And there's a reason for that. It's because 
for all of them and for all of us, God has given us the gift in Christ that has broken every pattern that would hold us captive and has opened the door to the path of true life and joy right now in the present. Do some of you know that? Do you have a sense for that? Help me out here if you know it. You know that? Some of us might not know that, but listen now. When God came in Christ and gave himself to death on a cross, his death was for the sins of the whole world. And that means every power and pattern of disobedience that keeps people in misery has been taken from them by the Lord Jesus and taken away and put to death on the cross. And when he rose to new life, he made himself present to every single heart that would be even a little bit open to him so that no longer would people have to languish in the habits that keep them from the life that God made them for, but instead they could move away from the power of death and sin behind them into the power of newness of life in the present. My dear friends, when God gave himself for you in Christ, he made it so that you could be altogether new, a new creation even right now in the present, and all you'd have to do is open your heart to him just a little bit and choose to trust him. Every one of you, no one is too young. No one is too old. No one's life is too far gone. No one's life is too new to begin in the present on a path of true life because of what God has done in Christ onto a path away from the habits which keep us captive. For the next nine weeks, every Sunday, we're going to consider one of the habits, the nine habits that keep people chronically unhappy. I wonder if anyone in here is brave enough right now to raise their hand and admit that they have some habits that make their life miserable, but they're stuck in them. Anybody? Yes. Okay. I, I, I'm not rejoicing in the misery that you're in, but in the potential, and I mean this, in the potential that's before us. Oh, I'm so, I, I really am so thankful. Uh, before we begin considering them, I'm going to give you the rules of engagement for today and for every day that we talk, okay? The first rule of engagement is that you have to listen to everything that you hear with ears that are open to grace, okay? When you have a bad habit and the preacher starts talking about it, it's very easy to look down on yourself. And you come to church and you hear about a place that you need to grow. Does anyone else struggle with feeling really down on themselves when they see it? Yes. I know I do, so I'm, I'm telling you now that the rules of engagement here are, first of all, you're going to listen with ears of grace, and this is why, because that's how God views you. God views you with eyes of grace. He does not come to you to condemn you for the places where you need to grow. He comes to help you. So I'm telling you now, the first rule is you will listen with ears of grace. Will you do that? Here's the second one. You're also going to listen with the ears that say, when I grow... I'm growing so that I can be useful to other people, okay? It's so easy to hear about habits and think about other people who, who are doing poorly and look down on them. That's not what you're going to do. You're going to think of all those other miserable people around you, and when God helps you grow, you're going to help them. Agreed? Are there any miserable people around you? There definitely are, right? So that's the second rule. When you listen and you think someone else needs to grow, you're going to say, God, change me so I can help them. Will you do that? Third thing is you're going to listen expecting that you personally are going to change. Some of you know already that you need to change. You're in the right place. 
If you're thinking, no, I, I figured this out already, you have to trust me. You also need to change because all of us need that. And we're going to see this morning with our first habit that there is beneath all of the, the habitual practices and thoughts and patterns of being that keep us stuck, one habit that all of us need to begin with, and it's the habit of being unwilling to change. And we're going to see this in one character that we meet in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible with you, open to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, and we're going to see there a man who is stuck, a man who's been in the same miserable place for a really long time, and he's pursuing a solution that is not working, but he keeps at it anyway because his habit is the habit of being unwilling to change, staying in the same place because the longer that you're stuck, the harder it is to change. Does anybody know that from experience? Okay. In John chapter 5, verse 2, here's the setting of this man's story. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called, in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. We are around a pool that is situated near the ancient city of Jerusalem, right at the place where the mountains come down and meet the borders of the city. And around this pool, there are many people, all of whom are desperately in need of the same thing, change. In their own way, they suffer from physical ailments, which very vividly mirror the kind of emotional and spiritual ailments that you brought into this place yourself this morning. Blindness where your spirit can't see what's right. The kind of lameness that makes it so even though you have agency that God give, gave to you, it's like you can't move at all. You're paralyzed spiritually. You know that, don't you? Around this pool, there are people like that who are lying. One man's been there for 38 years. This pool is a real place. Anyone who goes to visit Jerusalem now can see the ruins of this pool. They uncovered it in 1888, and archaeologists discovered it. They took away all the dirt that had covered it up. It was completely dry. It remains dry. But when this story was told, this was a pool that was fed by underground springs of water that came through the aquifers that were fed by the mountains. Try to picture it. You were lying around this pool, and even though it was still in the middle of the day, suddenly you would see the water begin to bubble and ripple. The cause of this was the underground springs, but the hope and the desperate need for change drove the people who were around that pool to imagine there must be some magical explanation for what's happening. The legend began to grow in and around Jerusalem that it was a divine being that came down and touched the waters and stirred it up. That's why it was rippling like that. And then people began to believe that if you were the first one to get in the water after it was stirred, you would be made well from whatever made you miserable. And some people believed it so desperately they stayed there for nearly four decades. The reason we know these details is that in John's Gospel, it's described in the fourth verse of chapter 5. Does anybody have their own Bible here? If you did and you looked carefully, you'd notice that verse 4 isn't in there. And that's because the earliest versions of John's manuscripts did not include that verse. They were added because of the popularity of the legend. And then later on, editors realized, this doesn't represent the Word of God. This is just some popular magical myth that made its way in here. And so they took it out because all it was was an ancient hope for a magical cure for a real problem. And that's why it's not there right now. It doesn't belong there. But listen to me now. I'm going to talk about today and not, not back then. Do you know that in our own day, we still have 
our own local legends that offer magical cures for real problems. And those cures are so inviting that they make people sit around this legendary place for decades maybe, hoping that something will change even though nothing ever is different from what ails them. Can you imagine what I mean? Can you picture the kind of myths that tempt you and me to come and sit down waiting, if only I can get in that pool, then I will be made well, even though year after year, nothing ever changes for us. Can you picture that or not? I can tell you, when I was in high school, the legend, the pool that everybody wanted to get into was the pool of being a part of the popular crowd. Do you remember that? It was the kids who wore IZOD and members-only jackets. (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah, and I didn't have either one of those. I had a skateboarder's haircut. I was out of that pool, but I believed that if only I could get into that crowd. And what did it make me do? It made me pretend I believed things that I didn't believe. It made me pretend I liked bands that I didn't even know who they were. I did everything I could to kind of get their approval because I was sure that if only I could get into that pool, then I would be made well. And I wasted a lot of time around that pool. It did nothing. How about after you graduate? Then you get around a different one. It's the one that says, oh, if you can only find your soulmate then everything will be well for you. You know that myth, right? Oh, if you find that woman who loves you just as you are and never expects you to change in any way whatsoever, she anticipates all your needs. Her, her, her singular goal in life is to make you happy and, and <laughs> everything you want and desire. She'll give it to you. Once you find her, then everything will be made well. Has anyone else languished around that pool? Get a job where you can achieve more and more. And people will admire you for everything you're able to accomplish. And you'll be able to acquire those things. And your your net worth will go up. And you'll be in a different income bracket. Get more power. Get more influence. Then everything will be fine. How about this one? Control your family so that your kids are always happy. And then everything will be good. (laughs) I, I very much appreciate your laughter. Right? Make sure they make all the decisions that are the best decisions. They believe all the right things. Make sure that your spouse is attentive and patient with you, and and then your extended family has peace. And once you manage to get all of those things under control, then all will be well for you. Whatever the legend is that has tempted you, now you must listen to me, to stay in the same place even though it's not working. That's what must come to mind for you right now in a moment. It may be none of the things I mentioned, but the way we live as human beings is clear. It's represented in this man's strategy. It is that we put ourselves into places where we hope that once this thing happens, then all will be well, and then our thinking and our behaviors become habitual, even though that thing isn't working, and we get stuck in the same place. And when we're in that place, what we need What we need is to answer one question, and it's the question that I'm putting to you this morning, and it is this question. Are you willing to change? It's not the question, can you change? People ask that question, and then they say, well, I can't. But that's never true. It's not a question of whether you can or can't. It's a question of whether you will or will not change. This is a question for people who have come in this morning and aren't sure what they believe about Jesus. Jesus is coming to you this morning and the change he is ready for you to make is the change where you stop trusting in yourself and you give yourself to him completely. You can do that and he is waiting for you to do that. For those of us who have given ourselves to Jesus, we are not off of the habit hook 
Many of us who are following him have gotten ourselves into habits that are going to keep us from experiencing the life that he made us for. And the question for you is, are you willing to change? Because here at this pool, where we're waiting for something to go different for a long time, we may be there for a really long time. Listen now, God is not content to leave us there. Just as in this story, Jesus is not content to leave that man who's been there for 38 years by himself. What happens is Jesus comes to him. One thing before we see how the, how the uh, story unfolds. Listen now. Jesus is coming to you right now. If, if your heart feels stirred a little bit and you feel like, when I was in church, I was inspired a bit. And, and you think, it must have been something about that, that pastor. He was so enthusiastic. I bet he had three cups of coffee between the services. It's not that. It's God himself comes through people like me to speak to you. And Jesus comes as he does to this man. Watch what happens in the story. This is verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus asks the most important and really simplest question in this instance, which is, do you want to be made well? Are you content with where you are right now? It may seem like a strange question, but it's not strange at all because there's something about this man's presence there all these years that communicates an unwillingness to change, that communicates in some measure that he's okay being stuck there all along. When Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? He's saying indirectly, I can tell by the way you're behaving that you haven't yet come to the place where you're ready for a change. And the most important question for you to address right now is whether you actually are ready to be made well or not. That is my question for you this morning. Again, do you want to be made well? If the answer is yes for you, and I know for some of you it is, we've talked about it, we've prayed about what, what's hampering you. If the answer is yes, then the first thing, the first thing for you is you have to decide whether you're willing to change. If you're going to be made well, you will need to change some things. If I'm going to be made well, and I'm, I'm on this, the same boat as you are, I, I work at understanding God and speaking about God, I also will constantly be tempted to sit around some solution that's not really working. So I also need to ask, am I willing to be made well? And let me say specifically what that looks like. That will mean real things for me and for you, like this. I'll have to ask, am I willing, Christian, right now, to care less about what other people think of me than I've been caring? Anyone else in that boat? To stop letting the opinions of other people determine what I, what I say. Am I willing to stop always turning my attention to the things in life that are not working and just dwell on them and talk about them and complain about them? Does anybody else do that? That's not my problem. It's not. Here's another one. Am I willing to be patient with the people around me that complain? Anybody else? Here, there are just so many ways where our behaviors are actually the results of the habits that we get ourselves into. How about this one? Am I willing, some of you have to ask this, am I willing finally to open myself up to the people around me? I have been habitually alone. And I can say it's because nobody's talking to me or nobody's inviting me, but I could choose to take that step and I have been withholding who I really am and what's really going on for me. Am I willing to break that habit of isolating and open myself up and finally connect with the people around me? That can be really hard to do because you might be afraid of what they'll see. Am I willing to stop having 
control and just take my hands off of it. All of these are different ways of asking the question, am I willing to change? And, and, and you're here this morning, and I do hope for this, that every single week in these next nine weeks, you'll be here every week because each one of these questions is related to a habit that if we don't break, will keep us chronically unhappy and we'll never have the joy that Jesus Christ died for us to have now, in life now. And just like the guy in the home office needs to change, and just like the couple in the Irish pub needs to change, and just like that man in the hospital bed needs to change, all of us will have to ask, do we want to be made well or not? And if we'll answer yes, then we'll have to change. And change is really hard for everyone. Can I get an amen? Yes. Watch this. After Jesus asked the man if he wants to be made well, this is verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Do you notice what he has not done? He's not answered Jesus' question. It was a yes or no question. Yes or no. Instead of answering that question, he gives an explanation for why he's not well. Jesus did not come and say to him, why is it so hard for you? He didn't say that because Jesus in this moment doesn't care as much about that as he cares about the man being made well. But what he shows us in the way he answers is his habit has become not changing. And before you feel superior because you're much better than he is, would you consider for a moment where you habitually stay the same? Try it. It's hard to do. If you can't see anything and you've come to church with someone who lives with you, after the service say, what is it for me? I promise they'll be able to tell you. Why don't people change? Have you ever thought of that? I'll tell you what, most of us think about that question less often than we should because we habitually avoid change. And thinking about why we don't change makes it harder for us to go on not changing. But here, I'm going to tell you the first reason that people don't change is because change causes immediate pain, right? Even if it's your parking lot spot or your seat at church, a small thing, but big changes more so. And the fact is we tend to want to avoid pain. And so when we see the need for a change and we look down the road and we know that I want to be down there so badly. It's so much better if I get down there. If getting there requires an immediate bit of pain, most of us will stay put and not change. Now, when we stay put and we don't change, that makes us feel bad about ourselves. And some of you right now are looking at yourselves and you're feeling really bad. I need to change. I feel bad. And the easiest way to avoid that is to think of another person who's doing worse than you are. And we do this automatically. I, I'm telling you, I, I have had several people after the first service said, it was such a good message this morning. I just wish my sister-in-law were here. <laughs> it's so easy, right? And, and it is. And you see it in this, the man at the pool. Do you want to be made? Well, look at all these other people doing the wrong thing. It's why most news stories that we can tune into tell us about all the other bad people in the world. And when you get into that rut of avoiding your own need for changing by looking at the things that other people are doing wrong around you, it feels really bad. And there's a way to manage that feeling, and it is essentially to begin telling yourself every time you're confronted with your own need to change, all you have to do is say, I can't do anything about it. I'm helpless. And you might not use that language, but my guess is for most of us, and I do this too, there are habits that we have which we are able to change, but we soothe our consciences by telling ourselves, well, I can't really do anything about it. I'm actually helpless. Have you ever heard of this phenomenon, 
learned helplessness. In the 60s, there was a group of psychologists who were trying to figure out the heart of depression. And they were fascinated by the fact that some folks get stuck in depression, even though they have lots of options around them, but they can't grasp those options. Instead, they tell themselves, well, I can't do anything about it. I'm helpless. And so to get to the roots of it, they began to do all kinds of experiments on dogs and rats with electricity, and they're awful. I won't tell you about them. You can read on your own. But Martin Seligman in in the 60s discovered essentially that after a period of prolonged aggravation because of stimuli that are negative in a person's environment or an animal's environment, eventually that animal or that person will begin to believe that I'm helpless even when there are obvious options that are right there in front of them until they get to the point where they say, I just can't change even though they can. That is the habit of being unwilling to change because you believe you can't. Friends, you can change. No matter how bad things have been for you, how difficult the people around you have been, every single one of you right now this morning is in the place where you are free to change. And for this reason, because Jesus is coming to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's coming to you right now, just as he came to this man at that pool. And what he says to you is the same thing he says to that man. Do you want to be made well? Do you notice he said, do you not? He didn't say this. Do you want to make yourself well? Do you want to be made well? And this is the truth. Jesus comes to you now with his gracious and kind question. And it is, do you want to be made well? And Jesus' will for you, exactly where you are, is that you should be made well by his power and his grace and his mercy and his love. If you can identify one or two patterns for yourself that have been really difficult for you, even as the people around you are hard, So what is it? The thing, if only you could do it, you know that then you could move forward. What is it for you? Trust me, Jesus knows. And he comes to you now and he says, my will is that you would be made well. The only question is, are you going to be willing to change? Whether it's the office. And by the way, can I tell you that that office story that I just told you, that was me. That was me before I came to Renaissance Church. It was a big change for me to come here, but I did it. And Jesus blessed me. That Irish pub, that was this cute couple, Wes and Sarah, that I did marriage counseling for back in the early 2000s. They have a great relationship right now. They do. They have kids. They live out in in, in, uh, Denver right now. They're amazing. And that guy in the hospital bed, he, he checked in. He did. He's still struggling. He is. But he's got everything he needs. Because Jesus is for me and them and him and every single one of you. The the way that this man is made well shows us how change begins. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now the lesson here is beyond our comprehension, but simple enough to touch our hearts and to be accepted by our minds. And it is as simple as this. Jesus speaks, and the man listens to what Jesus says and does what Jesus says to do, and therefore, he is made well. And the way that you will change is when you listen to what Jesus says, do what he says, and then you will experience his healing power, and might 
over everything that keeps you stuck in life. You do not need someone else to come along and pick you up and put you in that pool. You don't need to figure it out yourself. You can't make yourself well. All you need to do is open the ears of your heart right now in this instance to Jesus' voice. And whatever you hear him say, that's what you need to do. And you will be on the path to the kind of change that makes you well. The only thing that matters is whether you are willing to listen to Jesus' word and do what Jesus says. And that's what it is for me and for you as well. You'll have to forget about what you've been thinking will make you well. You'll have to forget about all the people around you who who you've been blaming for your troubles. You'll have to forget about that pool that you've been wanting to get into and focus just on one thing right now, and it is listening to Jesus and doing what he says. What is Jesus saying to your heart right now? I can't say it for you, but you can listen. What is he saying? He might be saying, do not give up yet. I'm with you still. He could be saying, give up. You've been at this too long. He He might be saying to you, let your guard down completely. Let it down and let me in. He might be saying, keep your guard up. That person's not safe. That situation is not where I'm calling you. Put up some walls right now. Uh, Whatever it is, listen to me. I know this because the word of God declares it. Jesus says to you, I have died to put your old self to death. When I was crucified, your sins and all of the old habits that drove you into the darkness and misery were crucified with me. Your old self died when I was put to death. And I did that so you would live for me now and every day. And I was raised to new life. Jesus says this, I came to life again out of the grave so that I can help you do what you need to do, which you could never do by yourself. But I am here with you at every step of your journey. I can make you well. I will make you well. Get up and leave behind what's behind you and become new. Walk away from that old hope and become new. Move forward. I give you permission, Jesus says, to change and leave that past behind and to move forward into this new future with me. Change, trust me, and I will change you. Jesus says that. And now I say this to you as your pastor and as your friend. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is trustworthy. Do you feel it in your heart? Do you know it in your mind? Then what do you say we stop being unwilling to change and open our hearts up to change? Yes or no? Every week we gather, there's going to be one habit that will come to light and God's word will guide us into the pathways of experiencing the joy that God made us for. Will you dedicate yourselves to this work? I need a little more help than that then trust me, the dedication of Christ to your well-being is profound and beyond your imagining. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your commitment to us is deeper than we could ever have asked or imagined. I know this because the Apostle Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus as, as he surely was praying for us, that we would know the depth and the breadth, the height and the length of your commitment and love to us in Christ Jesus. God, 
Your word declares that we are what you have made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you had in mind beforehand when you made us. And, and you teach us that we are saved not by our own works, not by our own initiative, not by our, our own thoughts or feelings or beliefs, but rather by the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. We, we throw ourselves onto your mercy and to your love. And we ask that putting ourselves into your hands, you would prove your faithfulness in helping each one of us embrace the truth that now it is time to make a change, to give ourselves to your care and your love in Christ and to strike out in whatever new direction you're calling us to strike out into. Keep our eyes open to where you're calling us to move in a new direction and then bless us individually and all together as we make the changes that we need to. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen.